and welcome into the first episode of the Lion's Lair. I am your host, John Sauber, uh, and I am joined, uh, as I will be frequently, quite frankly, by our fellow sports reporter here at the Center Daily Times, Kyle J. Andrews. Kyle, how are you doing today? I'm doing well, you know. I'm just excited to finally get this thing started. And of course, we've been talking about it for quite a bit of time now, and we can actually get things on board. So I'm I'm very much so looking forward to it. And, you know, we'll have a lot to talk about when it comes to, you know, so many different Penn State sports. Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, we, we mentioned this in the trailer. This isn't just a Penn State football podcast, although during football season, we know we'll be talking a lot about football. But we're going to cover basketball. We're going to cover wrestling. We're going to cover everything you can imagine. Uh, and we're excited to do that. You know, and we thought, what better way to start this thing out than with uh, the one of the biggest hires in, in recent memory at Penn State, basically since, you know, Carolyn Keeger was hired a couple of years ago. Uh, Penn State's new men's basketball coach, Micah Shrewsbury, joined us today uh, for for an, a 20 minute interview. You know, it was a, it was a good time talking to Micah. We got into a bunch of topics, talked about his on-court vision, the commitment Penn State's making to Penn State basketball. And uh, we talked about all sorts of things. So. Without further ado, here is our first guest in the Lions' lair, Micah Shrewsbury. So here we are, joined by new Penn State men's basketball coach Micah Shrewsbury. Uh, Micah, thanks for taking the time. How are you doing today? I'm doing great, and uh, I appreciate you having me on. So it's exciting time. Yes, it is, and it's a busy time too. Uh, but we'll get into some of that later. You know, with uh, your your thought process and recruiting on everything. But I want to I want to take things back first to to when you were offered the job and and when this sort of got into your mind a little bit, what was your decision-making process like when, when, when you got offered the job and, you know, was it something, I know you've told people in the past that you got a lot of no's before, and you've said publicly, you've got a lot of no's before. Was this something that you jumped on or, or what was the decision-making process like for you accepting the Penn State position? Yeah, no, this was a, you know, it was an attractive job for me for a lot of reasons. Um, so I didn't have to, you know, have much thought into it. So um, I was fired up from from day one uh, of being a part of this process. So, you know, when it was offered to me, I was I was on board right away. I had to, get, you know, make sure my wife and my family was on board, but they were. Uh, and so it was fun. Like, you know, for me, I've grown up in the heart of Big Ten country. Um, so, you know, I've been a part of Big Ten basketball. Big Ten basketball has been my whole life. Uh, of what I've watched so having the chance to get an opportunity to coach in this league is special and um, it was just something that I couldn't pass up but to do it in the Big Ten to do it at a school with a um, great academics um, it's a priority to our administration so that stood out to me as well because those are the kind of kids that you know, I've tried to recruit uh, in the different programs that I've been to. So this was a great fit for me. And and so for the for the fan base in the past, commitment to basketball, men's basketball specifically, has been a sticking point, right? Like the, you know, the level of investment, the level of time and, you know, clearly hiring someone of your caliber, some level of, of investment in itself. Uh, but But how do you feel about the university's commitment to you, your staff and what you want to do moving forward? You know, for me, it you could feel how genuine uh, the administration was right from the start. Um, so, you know, being able to connect with everybody that I talked to, uh, no matter if it was Sandy or Lynn or Scott Sidwell or um, anybody that was on the committee, um, you know, President Barron, they, they were all comforting, you know, and that's the most important thing. You have to have a partnership at the top in terms of, who you're talking to in terms of who you're working with in terms of your everyday kind of process. And I think that was important for me, the level of commitment, like, you know, I wanted them to invest in people. And I think we've done that. Like that's how you really get some buy-in is when you can, you know, give a hundred percent attention to your guys in a lot of different ways. And, and I think they've proven that, um, you know, and we'll prove it as a staff in terms of the investment that we're putting into this program. And, and so on to sort of roster construction and less, you know, grand scheme things, uh, the, the transfer portal is getting more and more complex every year, obviously the one-time transfer rule and everything. Uh, 
how how do you view it within the scope of roster building and how can it kind of accelerate a timeline usually when someone comes in for a new job it's like okay i've got to you know get my guys in the in this initial recruiting class the high school recruiting class and then i move forward and get my, them in place how does it sort of accelerate accelerate your timeline and your goals for what you want to accomplish you know it it, it really can change things and you know for you know not just me coming in here um, it can change things for any team, you know, in America. Like, you can go from good to bad, or you can go from bad to good in a hurry uh, with the transfer portal. And some of it you don't have any control over, and some of it you do have control over. So, you know, right away for me, it was important, you know, to like, how do we build like our culture? How do we build what we want to do here? Um, you do that by, you know, you're, you're you're judged by the people that you get, right? Not by the people that you don't get. So like the, the guys that we're recruiting, the guys that we want to bring in here, um, you know, we have an opportunity now to get more of those guys quicker uh, because of the transfer portal. But it also, you know, you don't want to almost like live and die by the transfer portal either. Like, you know, there, there's some people that have a lot of success doing it. I don't feel comfortable doing that each and every year. Um, I want to build this thing and take the time to build it and, and build our culture, uh, bring in recruits that value Penn State, to value the education here, that value the development that we're going to do as a program. So we're going to still recruit high school kids. Like, I'm, you know, we can use transfers to fill specific needs. Um, I think that's where you'll see us kind of delve into it a lot more. You know, obviously this year is a little bit different. Um, you know, our needs were players. So uh, that's how we filled it. But, you know, it'll be more specific in how we do it, you know, approaching later on in this tenure. And, and so you mentioned the building the culture and everything. How do you how do you help a group coalesce that, you know, you don't know the whole roster all that well. Obviously, just got here three months ago. I'm sure you're getting to know them and everything. You have new guys that don't really know you or the roster that well. And you have the, the guys that have been here before, but that that isn't a, it's not a massive part of the roster anymore after some turnover. How do you get a group like that to coalesce and make sure everyone's on the same page when they're kind of, I don't want to say three factions because it's not like there's a splinter or anything, but just three groups of people who who aren't that familiar with each other. Yeah, you're right. You know, we have a lot of new pieces. We have a lot of moving pieces. I mean, we're doing things where, uh, you know, our staff is still learning each other. Like we haven't all worked together. So like everything is, is new. Everything's exciting. Everything's changing. Um, but trying to get everybody on the same page. This summer is huge for us. You know, these eight weeks that we get this summer and not just on the basketball court, what we're doing off the court like how we're interacting with each other each and every day, um, getting the goals of who we want to be individually and who we want to be as a team. And, you know, that's how you kind of build the right foundation. I think, you know, getting a guy like John to come back was really important for us uh, because he is, he embodies Penn State, what this place is and, and what it can do for you. And, you know, he's somebody that helps us set the tone with how he plays. Well, you know, having other guys that um, were committed from day one, you know, like a Sam Sessoms or a Miles Dredd, having guys like that who are committed to the cause of, of staying here, um, that's really important. You know, they can help us push our message in the right way um, just by investing in time. I talked about investing in people like that's what we do here. Like we're going to spend time with these guys. We're going to invest in them. I'm going to give everything I have to these guys this year. Um, you know, we had our first team meeting, which is crazy. It's June. And, you know, I had the first opportunity to sit down in front of everybody that's here. And, you know, I told them we can accomplish whatever we want to accomplish. Uh, I'm not going to put a ceiling on what we can accomplish. And, you know, we're not going to let outside expectations tell us what we can accomplish. Um, the one benefit of the transfer portal is we also have an older group of guys. Um, and sometimes when you see that, winning becomes one of the most important things. 
so when you have that, you have veterans that have been around college basketball, guys that have played a lot of basketball games, they understand that winning helps everybody. And, and you mentioned the team being older, and, and uh, you mentioned earlier that just getting guys was a priority this offseason. So are you guys are you guys sort of done in the transfer portal? And even with JUCO kids, uh, obviously, Giovanni Scott was a, as a junior college transfer and everything. But are you done from that standpoint? And if not, what kind of what kind of gaps do you see on this roster that you'd like to fill at this point? We're still always constantly looking and working. And, and you know, we're hopeful that, you know, we do add more um, to this team. And, you know, I think adding some more size even to help those guys um, is something that we'd like to do. And then adding more depth at different positions is important. But, you know, I feel good about our group. Um, I feel good about who we have. I feel good about the kind of, um, you know, the core guys that have been here and the core guys that we're bringing in um, of what we can do and what we can accomplish. And if we don't add anything, anybody else on this team, like I'm okay with that um, because I know what these guys are about. I know how hard they're going to compete each and every night. And then, you know, it's on me to put them in the best positions to be successful. And, and so I know you mentioned previously uh, when you spoke to Ben Jones of statecollege.com that you don't want to overschedule. You kind of always aim to underschedule and then adapt from there. Uh, what kind, Have you looked at opportunities for scheduling yet? And do you know what kind of opportunities you want with this specific group? And I know you, like you said, you had your first team meeting and everything and it's still really early, but but do you kind of have an idea of what that schedule uh, would look like from, uh, you know, uh, from how you want to plan it out? You know, um, I think each year is different in how you go into it. Um, you know, we were, there were games that were already scheduled for us before we got here. Um, but you try to schedule based on where you think your team is going to be uh, each and every year. But, you know, we want to challenge ourselves is what we want to do, you know, to, to be able to make sure that we're ready to compete in the Big Ten. So that's how you have to put together your schedule. You know, in the future, when, you know, we're a little more free to schedule more games, um, like we, we do want to challenge ourselves. Like we want to, you know, obviously with the Big Ten ACC, or the Big Ten Big East, you have a couple of built-in games when you're in those. Um, but you also want to, you know, play another high major team in a home and home. Like you want to play in a big-time event where you're getting a couple of different high majors. And specifically, if you can get on one of the, you know, higher profile um, kind of events where you're seen more. Um, those are things that we're going to shoot to to get into, things that we'll play in. Also things that, you know, our alumni group will want to travel to, like go to places where they want to go, um, you know, and, and bring some people with us to, you know, make it, you know, hopefully we're going south and, you know, we make it Penn State south in, in one of these places and whether it be in Florida or Charleston or wherever it may be. So um, that's our aim. That's our goal. Um I, you know, it, it'll take us a little bit of time to kind of free ourselves of some other responsibilities where we can schedule uh, a little more like we want to. I, I know the the beat writers won't be complaining if you want to take some trips down south, maybe to <laughs> Miami, wherever wherever you have in mind. I'm willing to go. I just need you. Neither to will the coaches' wives or kids. Yeah, exactly. exactly. <laughs> uh, so so to pivot to on the court stuff. You're, you've obviously been hailed as the, an offensive guy, right? Like you, you know, at Purdue, you were the offensive coordinator. You, uh, you, you had impacts on Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, who had developed into all-stars in the NBA. What does your on-court offense look like? I, I talked to Greg Lee previously before, uh, or not long after he committed, and he mentioned that, you know, it's positionless, it's modern. He talked about extending his range beyond the arc. W what does that ideal five look like to you, the ideal five on the court uh, and how are they playing together and how are they uh, sort of moving uh, offensively? You know, um, like when you watch kind of the game of basketball, so it's becoming more read and react and less structured and set. And that's where we'll go. Like that's how we'll play. So 
you know, we break down a lot of different things that may happen in a game, right? So then we're ready for them when they come. Um, like basketball is a simple game. Like we mess it up most of the time. Like we want to keep it as simple as possible for these guys and allow them to make reads, allow them to react to the defense. So, you know, don't have anything predetermined in what you're doing. Like the defense will tell you what to do. And then you make the right play from there. Then you make the correct play, the right read from there. So the most important things for me are, are skill. Like you have to be skilled. I think having guys that can dribble, pass, and shoot at all five positions is the most important thing for me. Um, and that's what we'll work towards. And even if you're not that right now, as you come into the door, um, it's our, it's on us to kind of make you into that, turn you into that. Uh, don't take away from your strengths. Like if, like, don't get me wrong. If we have a guy that's a dominant back to the basket center, then we're going to play him as a dominant back to the basket center. I'm not going to have him, you know, dribbling on the perimeter or bringing the ball up the court. Like you have to play to your strengths. I think that, you know, coming from the NBA helps me in that where there's not a set one system that I can only do. Right. You have to be able to adjust to what other people are doing and then go from there. So, you know, you could see some things from us based on how people guard us, um, who's the matchup we want to attack, um, you know, how we can attack a certain team. Like it could look different from one game to the next. And I think that flexibility, when you are skilled, having that flexibility allows you to be a, a really tough team to prepare for and a tough team to guard. And that's our, that's our goal is to be one of those teams. And, and you mentioned your NBA past and, and spacing and everything. Do you, you've obviously been in the big 10 for a long time. Uh, do you think there's somewhat of a market inefficiency when it comes to even simple things like spacing and dribble penetration, just because it's a big league. It's a big physical league. There are a lot of big bruising fives and those guys kind of aren't forced to defend on the perimeter as much as I think you would see in the NBA. Those guys usually get switched They're You know, they're involved in dribble handoffs and everything where they can't drop on pick and rules. Do you think that's something you guys can take advantage of? Because at the end of the day, this, this roster is smaller as it's currently constructed. I know it's not you know, necessarily the idealized version of what you want, but do you, is that something that you would sort of like to take advantage of that we just don't see in the Big Ten is more more modern basketball, I guess? I think we need to try to. Uh, you know, you, you'll see a little bit of it come in. Like, at different times, <clears throat> the guys that have come from the NBA like me, you know, uh, Fred Hoiberg and how spacing was really important and how they played the pace of with which they played with is something that stands out when you watch Nebraska play, not so much of getting up the up and down the court fast. It's how fast they play in the half court. Um, and that's what I talk about when I talk about pace. So you see kind of <clears throat> taking bits and pieces of things like that, that they do um, things like Michigan with how they play with their spacing, you know, Juwan Howard having the NBA back, uh, background. So you see the success that these teams are having, um, then it's about getting the right pieces to do it. So it may, you know, maybe it's the five that we're trying to attack or we're trying to pick on. Maybe it's a two guard um, that can really struggle to defend people. So it's on me as a coach, it's on our staff to figure out who that is, find that person, find that weakness, and then try to exploit it. And, and so then I guess how small could you see this lineup going at times? Like, is, is there times where if you see matchups where, where it benefits, where you could see a Seth Lundy at the five, just to, you know, go a five out offense and, and, you know, uh, dribble penetrate and kick on, on almost every possession, or is it, you know, are you going to have limitations that too? Uh, and how, just how quick and uh, you want to be in the half court? No, we want to play our best five players and, you know, if, if all five of those guys are five foot six and we're going to put them out there, um, you know, it's then you got to try and win the matchup. Right. If, if you're taking trying to take advantage of a, a matchup, it becomes who wins that matchup. Can you win the matchup on both ends of the court? So, you know, can you 
keep people in front of you? Can you keep them off the glass? And can you rebound and then take advantage of that on the other end? So I don't think there's a, a limit on uh, what we'll do to be creative this year to put ourselves in success, <laughs> to put ourselves in the right spot to be successful. I, uh, I am all for seeing some small ball lineups where you've got five guards <laughs> out there. I grew up watching Villanova basketball. I won't complain about, you know, uh, four guards on the court at, at a time. It'll be a, I think it'll be an enjoyment to watch. But, you know, I, I guess to go back to the big picture, in a year, where do you want this program to be at? Where, what is it, what is the, not the outcome look like, but what do you want to have moving, uh, what kind of momentum, I guess, do you want to have moving forward at that point? I think we need to build off of the momentum that we have right now. And that is um, the momentum of a new coaching staff coming in. You know, there's a little bit of buzz and excitement and newness of people don't know exactly what they're going to see. Um, but also build off the excitement of fans not being able to get to games last year. Right. So, People are going to want to come and watch basketball games because they didn't get a chance to do that. Uh, so we need to build off that buzz and have a fun environment, you know, have a fun product on the court that makes them want to come back, that draws them in. Um, and once they get drawn in, then they, you know, we're opening up the doors. We want to do more on social media to like kind of show the human side of our team. Right. Open the doors and let them see the insides of our program and what we're doing. Um, let them feel a part of this basketball program. And whether that's a casual fan or whether that's an alumni. And I've spoken to a lot of the alumni and I told them this is their program. So I want them to feel a part of it. Like I want our fans to feel a part of this, too. And now let's build off that momentum that we're kind of getting right now. Like, you know, let's do that by you know, consistently recruiting at a high level, um, finding the, the right players that fit this university, find the right players that fit our, our program, and, you know, building off that day-to-day. -day. Like, you don't win, <clears throat> like, the recruiting success that you have, like, you don't win, in, you know, in November, right? We're not trying to win November. Like, we're trying to win in March. Uh, but – when you do win in November, it helps you win in March. Uh, so using that momentum that we that we have now from our newness, from coming back from COVID, putting a great product on the floor helps us draw more recruits. Uh, that helps us win November. That helps us win in March also. And so one more question, because I know you got to get out of here soon, that I think will pertain to the more local level. Have you guys decided where Braden is going to go to high school and, you know, uh, <laughs> if he's going to be playing locally here? He is um, – he's playing over at uh, State College High. So he is uh, – he's excited to, to be there and get signed up and uh, go to classes. Like he, he was online last year and virtual, so just – going to school and being a part of it is going to be fun for him. And, you know, the, our whole family though is, is fired up. You know, my, my other son, Nicholas um, will be an eighth grader and like, he's a speedster. So he's a, he's a great athlete in his own right. And uh, my daughter is Caitlin is fired up about gymnastics here in town. And uh, she's got to, she's got to stay here and, and, you know, almost like do a trial for a couple of weeks to see what level she gets placed at in gymnastics. And then Grace is my eight-year-old, and she told me last night that she's going to play every sport except basketball. So <laughs> they're, they're all anxious, uh, fired up to be here and be a part of this community and, um, you know, do as much as they can. And, you know, they love, they love and look good in, uh, in the navy blue and white. That's fantastic. Uh, thank you again for taking the time to join us today. Uh, this was this was a great time. I hope to have you on again in the future. Uh, hopefully, you know, maybe we can talk some more on court stuff once you, you know, get some games in and, and uh, see where this thing goes. But uh, thanks again to Micah Shrewsbury for joining us today. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, uh, John. And like, I'm fired up about the season. And I'm fired up to, you know, 
be the first guest on the podcast. So uh, I'd love to join you again and, and hopefully soon. And so there you have it. There was Micah Shrewsbury talking about a lot of things, Penn State basketball, his family, uh, his son will be playing at State High, which I think is exciting. You know, Kyle, I'm sure you'll be covering him quite a bit uh, over the next couple of years. But I, I guess to, to get this sort of recap started, what, what was your main takeaway from what we discussed there? I mean, my main takeaway is that Micah Shrewsbury is trying to change the culture of the team. I mean, I feel like the program's been down lately. I mean, of course, they can still steal wins from University of Maryland. <laughs> We've seen that way too often. But, um, you know, I, I think that this this Penn State program, when it comes to basketball, it looks like they're going in the right direction with hiring somebody who has that NBA experience like Shrewsbury does. Um, he talked a lot about that in, in the interview, and I thought that was, you know, quite interesting as well, just considering the fact that, you know, Micah, I mean, he coached Jalen Brown and coached, you know, some Jason Tatum. I mean, some of the most dynamic young players in the NBA and was critical to their development. And like, like you guys mentioned in the, in the interview, I mean, spacing is going to be key. We already see guys like Fred Hoiberg, who's brought some of that NBA, uh, you know, spacing and, and penetration to the college game with Nebraska. And then we also see Jawan Howard doing the same thing. So, I mean, those things really stand out to me that he's going to bring more of a, I feel like an NBA type of workmanship to this Penn state program, which is, which is good for them because they don't have, they, I don't think they've really had that, ever and this will be an interesting way to uh, you know go into the next uh, generation of Penn State basketball yeah and and that was one of the things that you know we we mentioned it a lot uh, because I thought it was important about his the on-court style and what this team's going to look like uh, you mentioned the spacing and the dribble penetration and it's just something that you know outside of Lamar Stevens and a select few others this program hasn't had uh guys capable of one making it to the NBA but two that would fit in like a, a modern NBA offense Myron Jones who's now at Florida would have been one of those guys and was one of those guys but like I said he's now gone but it, it, it's it's really clear to me that he has while he said they were going to be dynamic and they weren't going to be you know specific in what they do they're not going to run offensive sets all the time they're going to have a as he mentioned a read and react offense uh it's very clear to me that he has a mental image in mind of what this offense looks like. And, and one of the most fascinating things uh, that I thought he said was there will be no restrictions on sort of how, uh, how, how uh, unique they're going to be on the court. And I think that is a very, very positive sign because as I said, and when I asked him, the big 10 is kind of uh, a regressive conference when it comes to basketball, right? Like you see two big lineups still, that's not something you see in the NBA much anymore you see a lack of spacing, you see a lot of guys clogging the lane, and you're not seeing some of that modern basketball you you get in the NBA. So when you add guys that can dribble penetrate, when you add guys that can shoot from beyond the arc, when you add guys that that can take advantage of those matchups, it's, it's so important for uh, a college team when they're facing these kind of bigs, because then you can spread them out. And it's a lot harder when you know, bigs are not able to stand in the paint and just wait for someone to attack the rim. It allows you to attack the rim. It opens up the entire court. And I know some Penn State fans will be a little worrisome uh, because we saw Pat Chambers often employ this this kind of offense that, that you know, was a, a pace and space offense, essentially. But I, I think the the difference here is that there is there's a clear plan in place uh, for how this offense is going to look. Shrewsbury was, was excellent with after timeout drawn up plays when he needed to be. So that is a skill he's going to have available, but, but yeah, the, the modernization of Penn state basketball, I think is so important. Uh, but from an, from an off court perspective, he mentioned the investment in the program. It was one of the first things, you know, we asked him was, do you feel like this, this university is committing to you because that's been an issue in the past for Penn state. And the fact that he's willing to, you know, he, he's saying that they're committing to the people, they're committing to sort of him and, and buying into him, I think is important for, for a program that just down in the dumps isn't fair, but like that just hasn't found sustained success in decades, right? Like the last tourney appearance was 10 years ago. It would have been two years ago, if not for the pandemic, but this is, or one year ago, excuse me, if not for the pandemic, but it just like, this is their first chance to actually sustain some success and build something. So, you know, having some of these guys 
come in with, I mean, Micah Shrewsbury's tried to build a culture that is, I feel like going to be reminiscent of an NBA culture where, you know, guys are going to hold themselves accountable. You know, sometimes I feel like a lot of college coaches try to hold uh, the players' hands and I feel like Shrewsbury is going to treat them like adults. And I, I feel like that's, that's the most important aspect of, you know, I think college recruiting at this point is, you know, more of these coaches instead of trying to hold the kids' hands and telling them, hey, like, you know, it's going to be less Coach K's. And I think Roy Williams kind of adapted to it where he, you know, kind of let the kids do their own thing. Calipari was like the first of, you know, many coaches that I felt like start started doing that where they, you know, and he had an NBA background too. So, you know, I think Micah Shrewsbury doesn't necessarily have to adapt because he already understands. And I feel like that's going to endear him to a lot of young recruits that want to go to the NBA. You know, maybe he can get some more Philly kids. Maybe he could poach some kids from Baltimore. Maybe he could poach some kids from Pittsburgh, you know, maybe get a New York kid or two, or even some more DC kids, maybe a Buffalo kid or a Cleveland kid, you know? And I think all those things are incredibly important, especially that, that pipeline that he has to Indianapolis. Um, I mean, you you know India in a far too well. Uh, so I mean, you could definitely speak to that a little bit more than I could. Yeah, no, it's it's a big advantage to have those sort of Midwest ties. That's a state that produces a lot of Division One talent. Uh, as our listeners may know, I I covered basketball recruiting for rivals for uh, a, a little bit. You know, I got to know the area, um, got to know some of some people out in you know the recruiting trail, and and Shrewsbury's well thought of. You know, he's he's very well thought of and he brought in a hire in Brian Snow, who is also very well thought of, uh, you know, that that should help out with recruiting. So they're in position, like you said, Pat Chambers took advantage of that Philly pipeline to some degree. They're they're at a position where they could expand that. It doesn't have to be Philadelphia. Like they can they can build a team with guys from various areas and expand their footprint, uh, which is important in college basketball. Right. Like no top team is just recruiting one area. Now, Penn State's not going to be a top team in all likelihood. They're not likely to be a perennial, you know, elite eight, sweet 16 candidate, but they could reasonably be a perennial uh, NCAA tournament team. And I think that that seems like it, it should be the bar for this program moving forward. It should be where they want to get to uh, how quickly you can get there, I, I think, varies. But uh, it seems like with the way he's building the roster, it could happen sooner rather than later. As, as he mentioned, they brought in a few guys because they just needed guys. But they also brought in good players like uh, Jaheim Cornwall is a really good player, a really good shooter. Uh, can create a little bit off the dribble as a, as an off guard, uh, but but Jalen Pickett is a big get. Like I I don't think that should be underestimated how good he was at Siena. He was conference player of the year two years ago. He was an uh, all conference guy this year. Like he was he, he was one of the best uh, mid major transfers available. And, and Shrewsbury was able to get him. I I think in large part because of the the resume he has and and how much these kids like him and want to play for him. So I think you're absolutely right that that sort of culture change to a uh, a self accountability to now he's going to hold guys accountable. There's no doubt about that. Like he's still, you know, this is still his responsibility to do that. And I'm sure he will, but allowing these guys to be themselves and kind of have their brand, which by the way is coming, right? Like name, image, and likeness legislation is coming. And it is, these schools are going to be allowed to uh, have these kids sell their name, image, and likeness to make money. And I think Shrewsbury is in a unique position to take advantage of that. It's not something we cover in the interview, but he's the, he's the type of sort of, um, you know, I don't want to call him a marketer, but sort of, he kind of is a marketer of the program. He's doing an excellent job of it so far getting involved with these guys. Uh, Derek Lively, as we saw on Twitter, was was on campus the other day, which is big because he's he's originally from Belfont, which is where I live. You know, that is a big time recruit. That is a fringe five star prospect that, you know, getting him on campus is a big deal. So every every kid they can get an in with is a big deal. And eventually those relationships will lead to commits. And it may not happen now. It may happen in a year. It may happen in two years. But He's already building a roster. He's already building a foundation and there's going to be some turnover, but I think you're a hundred percent right. This, this idea of allowing these guys to be themselves, to be accountable for themselves and to treat them like adults, I think is, is big. Uh, like you said, the, the, the era of coach K's is, is gone by the wayside, right? Like you don't see many programs finding sustained success like that. You, you have to let these, these young men be young men. And uh, I think Shrewsbury is, is doing a good job of establishing that. And that is something that 
like you said, may come from the NBA, may come from just, you know, the, the empathy of, of understanding what it's like to be uh, that kid because his, his own son is, is a recruit. Yeah. I think, I think you a hundred percent doubt it. That culture is going to be so important and, and getting where they want moving forward. And it remains to be seen what it's going to do this year, but I'd have to think that they're in a better position now than they were six months ago. And quite frankly, in a better position than anyone could have envisioned, because I know that was before you got here, but there was some serious questions about how much the program would be investing in, in the next hire, where it was going to go, who it was going to be. And, and quite frankly, it seems like they hit a home run. And I, th- that's a bigger picture discussion to have. Maybe we can have it now, but hiring Micah Shrewsbury seems to be a home run. It remains to be seen how it's going to turn out, but, but the reasoning and the process behind it seems to be sound to me. Yeah. I mean, one, like we, like we talked about before, I mean, he's getting guys to return. I think that was something that was huge, you know, having John Har come back uh, with, you know, averaging 8.8 points a game. Then you have Seth Lundy, of course, coming back. He removed his name from the transfer portal. So, I mean, you had to convince him, like, do return. Too. That's the thing. Like, Harrow was – I think if you had if you had talked to people in November, like when after everything happened with Pat Chambers' uh, resignation, if you had to pick a guy that was going, like, John Harrow would have been near the top of the list. The fact that he's coming back, I think it matters a lot. And like you said, Lundy too. Yeah. And then get in Sam sessions and, and miles dread the return, of course. And then we also talked about, you know, bringing in Giovanni Scott, bringing in the Jaheim Cornwall, bringing in the Jalen Pickett, bringing in the Greg Lee, you know, I, I think all those moves are huge moves. And then you still have a couple of younger guys that are probably going to come in on top of that. But those things make so much of a difference, you know, bringing in those, those players and trying to gel them together. I think this transfer portal is, is equally the greatest thing that has happened to college basketball, but it's also the worst thing that's happened to college basketball. Cause God, like, you know, teams won't be stable just like Micah said, but at the same time, teams can, can come up from nothing. And I think that's the great equalizer. You know, maybe you get a couple kids, that were at bigger schools and then now they're going to another school or maybe you get a kid that was at a was at a big time basketball school maybe like one day let's say in the next couple of years like some UNC kid decides okay I'm out and then maybe Micah Shrewsbury's like hey well you know you could come play basketball at Penn State still play at a power five school still get the exposure and he talked about that you know, exposure that he wanted to get them as well. You know, he talked about the fact that he wants to be able to play down in a Florida, play down in a Charleston to make it Penn State South. He talked about wanting to play a home and home series against another power five school. You know, those things really do matter when it comes to, you know, try to get those top recruits, you know, top recruits aren't going to want to go to a school where you're not playing on prime time all the time. Nobody you wants know. to be on the Big Ten Network 30 times a year. Exactly. You know, and that happens, <laughs> you know, that wouldn't happen if Penn State gets better, you know. And I think Micah Shrewsbury is going to that level where he wants to be on ESPN. He wants to be playing games on Fox Sports Network. He wants to be playing uh, games on, you know, maybe they play a game early in the year against an ACC team or an SEC team, and they're playing on CBS. You know, so those those are the things that I think he's going to change. He wants to be on that big stage and he's not afraid of anybody either. That's what I got most from his uh, from from the interview today. Yeah. And, and I think that's big. I think not being afraid of it, having sort of a plan. We talked about scheduling a little bit. Uh, like you said, he wants to go places. He wants to carry the brand elsewhere. But you 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 nailed it with the, the transfers because it, we saw it this year, right? Johnny Juzang transfers from Kentucky to UCLA and ends up in the Final Four and being a big piece in UCLA ending up in the Final Four. Like we can't – you can't overstate uh, just how important the transfer portal is going to be for every program, but especially a school like Penn State that – you know, maybe maybe the next Johnny Juzang is is a five star kid, has a ton of talent, but can't get playing time. Well, he can go to Penn State and have the ball in his hands a lot and he can produce a lot. He can help himself, uh, you know, prepare for the NBA. Uh, you, you just never know with things like that. And Pickett is sort of the I don't want to say a low level version of that, because I, I, 
personally a big fan of Jalen Pickett's game, but he's an example of that. You know, a guy who he came from a lower level school, played really well, now can get more exposure by having the ball in his hands just as much by being just as effective. Uh, they're, they're in a very unique spot to take advantage of this. And, and you call it the great equalizer. And I think that's, that's spot on. Like these, these high level schools, like, you know, Coach Cal getting seven five-star kids is, is great. And like, obviously helps them have success one year. But the two or three that don't get a ton of playing time, maybe they transfer elsewhere instead of going to the NBA after the first year. So you have this this group of five stars that is looking for a new home that wants to go to a new school because they're already getting recruited over or because they didn't like the fit or for whatever reason. And and schools like Penn State, these these power five schools that are not like perennial contenders, but like could make a run. You know what I mean? Could make a sweet 16 run on occasion. Uh, could make one, you know, should be making the tournament more frequently. They can lead those schools, get those primetime opportunities, get those national TV games, get that exposure. And that's what it's all about. Like, at, you know, the, the days of guys staying for four years are, are not gone, but they're, they're limited. Like there are not many guys that are just grinding out like John Hara did. You, that's a great example of a guy coming back that is going to be uh, impactful. And then Shrewsbury mentioned the culture aspect of just having him back because he, he really does love Penn state that, that comes through when you talk to him, uh, how much the university and the program means to him. So getting a guy like that back helps, you know, if, if he's the starting five, that's fantastic. He's a more of an old school five, but still brings a lot to the table as a, as a, a guy who's putting it all on the line, uh, you know, every possession he's, he's diving on the floor for loose balls, fighting for every rebound is an excellent offensive rebounder. You mentioned Lundy and Sessoms. Sessoms is one of those guys that, you know, might come off the bench, might start. We don't, we don't know how the rotation is going to work out, but provides a scoring punch that this team is probably going to need with Myron Jones uh, no longer with the program. Like I said, down at Florida now, uh, and and Lundy's kind of the big one. And and you were you, you hit that too. The uh, getting him to to exit the portal when he was a highly touted kid from Roman Catholic was the heir supposed to be the heir apparent to Lamar Stevens and has a modern style of basketball right like he is a uh, he's a big athlete who can shoot who can take guys off the dribble uh you know we saw him post up a little bit last year i don't know that we'll be seeing that much this year it doesn't seem like uh, much to his benefit if they put him out there as a small ball five and really want to go small he's going to beat up on some big 10 centers attacking the rim if they want to put him out there as a four uh he's going to be able to do that too you know and i think that is that that's going to be helpful for this team the getting the getting all of those guys back compounded with creating a brand having quite frankly they don't need to make the ncaa tournament this year but i think they need to be competitive and if they can put together a competitive team that's exciting to watch and maybe you get a couple of national tv games maybe you get a couple chances to show what you are then then you can take the next step forward then you can start of sort of start to look at okay what is the next step uh in making this a perennial tournament team uh and they haven't been that they, they just haven't so we don't we don't necessarily know what that next step looks like at Penn State, but I think at this point, if, if I were a Penn State fan, I would trust that Micah Shrewsbury could be the guy that could get them to that next point. Yeah, I don't disagree with you one bit on that, and I think that the way that he wants to run a program is totally different than previous guys, and the fact that, like you said, I mean, he he's a he's the type of guy that is going to get players to rally around him, but I, I, don't, I don't feel like... <laughs> You know, when I when I hear Micah Shrewsbury talk, he doesn't seem like a rah-rah guy, but he seems like a guy that's going to give it to you straight and tell you, like, this is what we need to do. He seems like the type of dad that won't tell – if you mess up, he won't tell you, I'm so mad at you. I'm He's yelling, screaming, hooting, and hollering. But he's the one that's like, I'm disappointed in you, but this is how we fix it. And that and I, hurts worse, by the way. The disappointment always hurts worse. Yep, exactly. But – and and that's the thing. I think he's that's the accountability that I think he's bringing into the program. It's not I'm going to sit in there and scream and yell in your face. And I think that the college kids nowadays, especially. You know, they don't want to hear some guy just scream, some man yelling and screaming in their face who hasn't who hasn't been there and done that. You know, this is a guy who's been there and done that. And he's holding guys accountable by not screaming and yelling. He's just trying to put guys in the right place. He's trying to be a leader of men, which I feel like, you know, some coaches say that. And from what I've seen from Shrewsbury so far, based off of all the internet interactions I've seen him have at places like Purdue, at places like Boston, 
you know, that is going to show up at Penn State, I think, in the near future. And, you know, people should be excited to see that, especially if you're a huge basketball fan and you have nothing to root for. Because I know a lot of people that are Penn, that, that went to Penn State that would tell you, I'm not a Penn State basketball fan. They'll say, I'm a, I'm a Villanova fan. Or, I'm a, or they'll say, oh, I, I like Pitt basketball even though they go to Penn State. You get a now lot that, of Duke that, basketball fans, too. Yes, Duke, randomly. Or yeah, even, it's hard even to kids from Maryland. Even kids from Maryland saying, oh, I wanna, I'm want i going to root for the Terps, even though I go to a rival school. Like, you don't want that, right? Yeah, and, and that's the thing. Like, when uh, – it's, it's hard to blame people who feel that way, too, right? Because they just haven't had much to root for for so long. Uh, and I think – Part of what he's trying to do is recapture that fan base. And truth be told, so I grew up in the area, as a lot of people know. Uh, I grew up watching Villanova basketball. Like I, that was the the first team I fell in love with was Kyle Lowry, Randy Foy, Alan Ray, Mike Nardi, all those guys, because there wasn't a you know a local team to root for when I was a kid. Uh, so you know that's that happens a lot. And I think he's trying to change that culture. He mentions. Uh, not just the, the team's culture, the, the broader culture of basketball and how it's perceived in, uh, at Penn State and in central Pennsylvania. He mentioned, too, trying to capitalize on the fact that, listen, people haven't been to sporting events in a long time. That's starting to reopen. This, this coming November should be the first chance people have to be at the BJC in a long, long time. And he should be able to get you know bigger crowds because of that. They should be able to have more momentum because of that. And I think that can be a really good thing uh, for Penn State. But yeah, I, the the there aren't there are not a lot of people that grew up as Penn State basketball fans uh, to to be frank, and and it's partially Mike Shrewsbury's job to make sure there are more of them, that there are more kids, that there's a greater a newer generation that grows up wanting to be the next you know next great Penn State basketball, the next Lamar Stevens uh, is the guy that most recently comes to mind, but maybe the next you know Jalen Pickett or Seth Lundy or whoever steps up for this team, like. He's got to he's got to know, not only change the culture within the team and get them to make sure that you know they know that he's there to to sort of shepherd them, but not like be demanding uh, in in a way that is harmful. And he's got to make sure that the fan base can rally around him and wants him uh, wants him to have success because they like him, they like the program, they like the way it's run. And I think he's he's well on his way to doing all of those things. Uh, I. Again, it's early. He got hired like three months ago. They have not played a single basketball game, so we still need to see how it turns out. But so far, so good, quite frankly. And uh, I don't know that you could ask for much more if you were a Penn State basketball fan, given how things happened and how it went down from October until March, right? Like you had Jamari Wheeler uh, starting to talk about what how, how things went down and then, then being cut off in the interview and, and having to you know, pass along to the next question. You've got all these all these sort of inner workings that weren't going well. And it seems like everyone's heading in the right direction. Everyone's heading in the same direction, more importantly, uh, which is not something I don't think many people would have foreseen in, in January or December. Yeah. And, you know, Penn state basketball, <laughs> I, I mean, has been an afterthought for so long, you know, I don't, I don't think anybody outside of, Pennsylvania and even even like cent this central the, the the central portion of the state even they I I don't I don't talk to too many people that love basketball and I think that would change if Penn State was good at basketball you know when it comes to the men's side you know and I think the women are already the women are already halfway there I think that the women's side they are already halfway there they've you know brought in a ton of transfers they've you know brought great coaching um, and I think that their success is also going to bring something to it because it, it doesn't necessarily have to just be the guys. I think once, you know, we look at teams like South Carolina, you know, the women played so well is that, you know, they, they started to bring that culture, you know, and if the women are playing well, then everybody's going to be like, well, what about the guys? What are they up to? You know, how have they been playing better? And, more people start to care about the guys as well. So it's a mutually beneficial thing that you have, you know, such a strong women's program as well. And I think that's something that needs to be stated. Like, I, I know a lot of people are just like, I'm just going to go all in on the men's side. 
And I think Penn State, the difference with them is that they went all in on both. And this is a far cry from what it has been in the past. Yeah, and, and this is a school that had a highly successful women's program for a while, and then it then it was gone, right? Like they, they, they struggled in recent years. But I think you you nailed it with Carolyn Keeger. She is a phenomenal coach. She's bringing in transfers there. They're sort of on the same track that Penn State men's basketball should hope to be on, right? They should be hoping to to turn things as, as quickly as the women's team seems to. They're going to be a lot of fun to cover for you. They're going to be a lot of fun to discuss on here. So, yeah, there's a lot to be excited about, quite frankly, with with basketball uh, at Penn State, which hasn't been the case for a while. And I think that's a positive for the program, a positive for the fan base. Uh, I'm excited to talk about all of it moving forward. Uh, But that's going to do it for our first episode here uh, of the Lions Lair. We hope you enjoyed it. We had a good time talking about it. I had a good time talking to Micah Shrewsbury. We're looking to have more and more guests as we do this. This is not just going to be Kyle and I droning on all the time, although, you know, we like to drone on. So we'll do that sometimes, too. Uh, we This should be a, a good time for everyone. Uh, you can read all of our work at centerdaily.com. You can find both of us on Twitter. I'm at John Sauber. Kyle is at Kyle J. Andrews underscore. Uh, I am currently working on the depth chart breakdown, which we will be doing every year as long as I'm here. Uh, I did last year of breaking down each starter at every position for Penn State football this year backups and a freshman that you should watch so go to sendaily.com go to my twitter to find that uh kyle do you have anything you'd like to plug that, that you're currently working on or that's coming out in the near future yeah i actually have a story coming out fairly soon um i'm just waiting on a few other guys that i'm interviewing but uh i'm, I'm i talked to kenny sanders about you know he's penn state's recruiting coordinator for football and you know the connection that penn state has with mcdonough school in maryland in Owings Mills. Um, you know, just stay tuned. He actually is an alum. So if you all are listening, especially to the people back home in Maryland, check it out. And, uh, you know, I should have that done in the near future. That sounds great. Like I said, find that, find everything we do at senadaily.com. You can find this podcast uh, on, on Apple Podcasts, on Spotify, on Stitcher, really wherever you, Google Podcasts, wherever you find podcasts, you can find this one. Uh, rate, review, subscribe, all of that good stuff. We're looking forward to continuing to do this. Uh, It's been a good time. Uh, Kyle, thanks for joining. Everybody, have a great day.